Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Teacher Russ Shute. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's Holy Word. Good morning, church. It's good to uh, be uh, here another Sunday, whether you're here or you're home. Uh, we miss you, and we wish we could see you all personally. Uh, God willing, this next Sunday we will come back together as, in the building and as one body and, and worship Jesus together. But meantime, we're doing the best we can. It is what it is, as they say. And so with that, I would like to bring the Word of God to you. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we could be here this morning to proclaim your word, to, to, to have your word, to have a way to, to present your word to the body. Uh, we miss, Lord, we miss each other. We miss the body. We miss the saints. But God, we, we know that you are sovereign over everything. We are sovereign even over this morning's message and this morning gathering as the few come together to present worship to you. Lord, we just pray that you speak to us through your word, that you use me as your mouthpiece, and let my time studying be done well for this morning, as I honor your word, and I honor our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we have read through Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, Paul is giving us a list of things of Basically, some things to kind of adhere to as a new person. That's why I titled this sermon, Putting on the New You. When we think about it, through Ephesians 4, starting at actually verse 1, Paul is actually telling us we are new. We are no longer outsiders of Christ. We are insiders. We are to put on a new self, because this new self is Jesus Christ that shines through us. And so right away, when we see verse 25, I don't know about you, but I noticed the word therefore. So I got to give the joke, what's therefore, therefore? Therefore is basically a term of conclusion. We, therefore, if you give some synonyms of therefore, so then, consequently, for that reason, on which account, and there, I'm sure the list could go on. But when we see this word, we should always pause to wonder the term of conclusion. What's coming after this? Why do we see therefore and what's going to come after this? So Paul is transitioning from the principles and precepts of the faith, being renewed in our minds and putting on the new life, as you can see Ephesians 22 through 24. And we see that to the personal practice of our faith, providing a list of what I like to think of a, of a list of specific miracles, and I'll get to that in just a minute, of which should mark the new clothes of every new man in Christ. See, Paul moves from the general generalities, that's a hard word to say this morning, to the specific applications beginning in Ephesians 4.25 uh, and going all the way through Ephesians 6, verse 9. So we have a list of things that Paul is going to be going through. So I guess you could say Paul is going from preaching 
to now he's meddling in, your, in our lives. He's listing the specific sins that characterize the life of the old man and corresponding godly behavior to the new man. So we see the re constant re repetition of the old man to the new, putting off, putting on, outsiders, insiders. We are all coming in closer to Jesus Christ, and Jesus should be in the body. We're built up on one another, on the prophets and, and the prophets and the apostles, and Christ being our cornerstone. So Paul reminds us of what we must do as we put off the old and put on the new. Now I'd like to talk to you this morning about how Paul is telling us what to do. So how to be the new you in Christ. And that's why I kind of put this sermon title, probably not the, the best title, but it's how to put on the new you. Uh, Paul continuously tells us the old and new, old and new, give us the sin and contrasting to what we should be doing. So I thought about, well, he's telling us how to put on the new you, how to be the new person in Christ, as our brother Paul shared in his testimony this morning. So the, one of the first ways that Paul is telling us how to, be, how to put on the new you is to tell the truth. That's be my first bullet point, to tell the truth. It's plain and simple, right? Verse 25, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, all lies, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are all members. We are all coming together. So brothers and sisters, if you think about lying, even the little white lies on the, uh, or you know, one of those skeletons that are hidden in, our, hidden in the darkness of our heart, our closet, you know, what is it that we understand of telling the truth and telling lies are? So we can see that Paul is addressing one of the most common practices done by all, and that's lying. I guess lying is one of the easiest things to do. It comes out, and we don't even realize it sometimes. See, it doesn't matter what side of the, of the political party you side with or how many feelings you don't want to hurt. We take part in this practice of lying as well, these falsehoods that we partake in. Now, I was watching a movie with my son the other day, and the, the characters were talking to each other, the actors were talking to each other, and one was actually saying, don't you feel bad about lying? And the other responded, said, well, we lie to protect the truth. <laughs> That's just a little strange to me. That, that sounds like it's giving it a badge of honor for lying. We lie to protect the truth. Well, no kidding. We were lying to protect the truth. We don't want to tell the truth, so we tell a lie. We want to tell a lie to make it better than what it actually is. See, as Paul, as Paul meddles in our life, we can see that in verse 25, falsehood, also known as lying, is a filthy garment that must be cast aside, for it is not part of the life of the new man in Christ. As new creatures in Christ, we are to display the life and loveliness of the Lord Jesus in our everyday lives, no matter what situation we may be in. See, our lives are on display for the world to see, and rightly so. We must demonstrate integrity in our daily life. Every action made, we are, made, we are being closely observed. Why? So the unbelieving world can cast judgment when we fail. They'll laugh 
and ridicule us of our faith. They're waiting for the they they're waiting for the ones that are talking about Jesus, the ones that are proclaiming boldly the word of God. They're waiting for us to fail and fall. And they point to those who fall and they say you're just like them. You know, I like what Charles Spurgeon says. He says that nothing reflects so much an honor on a workman as a trial of his work and his endurance of it. So it is so it is with God. It honors him when the saints persevere in their integrity. And Billy Graham says that the time has come for all evangelists, that's you and I, we're evangelizing, we're telling people about the word of God, or at least we should be, for all evangelists to practice full financial disclosure. The world is watching how we walk, how we talk. We must have the highest standard of morality, ethics, and integrity. See, if we continue if we are to continue to have influence in this world. You know, we've all heard it before. What, what is integrity? The integrity is that big motivational poster that we have at the work hallway. It's right next to the one with, that says teamwork and a picture of a bunch of people in a rowboat rowing together. And on, on the other side, it's endurance. The, the guy climbing the mountains, is, he's barely hanging in there with one arm. And now we have the picture of integrity Integrity is making the right choices when nobody's looking. That's what we always think about. That's what we're always told. But here, Paul is bringing it more of a, to, to a biblical sense. To have, having put away is a practice that each believer must do to represent our new life in Christ. The change of identity. The old man, we are that where we once practiced lying to the new identity, the new man, who is called to not lie, but to speak in love. So in fact, when I've read about having put away, to put aside, or lay aside, uh, this reminded me of the second sermon I was able to preach during this COVID time, back in probably the third week of March, third or fourth week of March, the end of March, where I preached through Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, where Paul was telling us to lay aside every encumbrance. This is something that has to be done so we do not struggle in this race that has been set before us and to be more mature in Christ. So we must lay aside all these sins and not be caught up in these sins so we can continue to grow and be more mature in Christ. So I know what you're thinking. How do we speak the truth if someone asks us something personal and we know the truth will hurt them? You know, to tell you the truth, that person might already have the answer to that question. They may need clarification because they trust you as a brother or sister in Christ. And they, they need to hear it from somebody else. So how would you go about answering this question? It, it would be between you and the Lord and that person, obviously. So we should always pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us and enlighten us with the way we should walk and serve Christ, even in our speech to one's one another, or in our in our answers to these difficult questions. Now, I'm not talking about going to the age-old question of your wife may say, "Honey, does this dress make me look fat?" I, that's your own answer. <laughs> that may, it's a hard answer to give, but whatever the answer may be, we are to answer and proclaim that answer or that truth and love as Paul speaks. 
Or maybe it may be the husband saying, honey, does a beard and being bald make me look ugly? Well, you know, <laughs> vice versa, right? So maybe a better answer for us to give is, why do you ask? You know I love you and I always will. So as we move along, we see that Paul is telling the reader to speak truth in love. This doesn't mean to lie. Paul tells, tells us that we are members of one another. In other words, we belong to each other. When we, and when we speak falsehoods, we are not only hurting ourselves, but we are harming everyone else too. See, when we look back through Ephesians, we, we have studied that the Bible says we are being fit together as one body in unity. This is the one reason that GBF pushes membership. We want to be accountable to the Word of God and to each other. We don't want to live a pseudo lifestyle. You know what a pseudo is? It's a false. We don't want to live, the, live a life that is false or an exaggeration or false promises. Because when we do it, when we do live that way, we tend to build on one lie upon another and then another. Then we forget what we're lying about. But when we come together as members of the body, we are honoring God by serving Him and serving each other and edifying one another. We can't serve one another if we are living in a false world. If we ever want to obtain the true fellowship with one another, we have, we have to value honesty, speaking truth, not falsehoods. We want, to, we want the sweet fellowship with Jesus we need to seek forgiveness when we have been, have not been honest with one another. We have to seek that out. In order to really have unity in our fellowship, in order to really have unity in the purity in our hearts, we have, we have to become people who care about one another to value honesty, as Paul starts off the first thing. And my second point would be, be angry and not sin. So Paul is telling us how to put on the new you is to, put on, is to be angry and not sin. Now, I don't know about you, but when I thought, when I read through to be angry, I thought this doesn't, this is just different. How do we, how, why is Paul telling us to be angry? Now, growing up, I watched Bill Bixby, I think is his name, but Dr. Banner grow, you know, the, the mild, timid man get mad and turn into this green beast called the Hulk. And, you know, he was a very timid man and he would become angry, start smashing things, throwing cars, throwing people because he was angry. But that's what I thought about right away, thinking about anger. But is Paul telling us to be this type of angry person? No. The type of anger that one might see when you, you're watching the Hulk is more of a sinful anger. And I can say that because when you yell, destroy things, and hurt other people's feelings, to get your point across, that's sin. You're thinking about yourself and only yourself. You're not honoring God by throwing a temper tantrum, are you? See, God wants us to grow up, not blow up. Paul is telling the believer to be angry and not sin. Now, I think the best picture of this being angry without sin 
is to look at Jesus Christ. You know, when we look through scriptures, we can see that Jesus is demonstrating his righteous anger. In John chapter 2, we can see how Jesus cleanses the temple. He sees the corruption that is going on and is doing something physically about it. This is the type of righteous anger that we are to have. So we can see that not all anger is sin. The believer is not to be consumed with anger or even allow the anger to fester up and keep that anger inside for many days. I know I'm guilty of that. I think about many times of different workplaces I've been, uh, you know, directly some things that some changes that had directly involved me and the people I work around, you know, got me to a point where I was angry. At one point, my frustrations and anger started to show. One of the oldest ladies I worked with at one time, and I highly had the utmost respect for her, she was another believer as well, said to me, Russell, I know you're mad, and I appreciate your thoughtfulness of holding your feelings back, but if you're angered at what is happening, and you should be, you have got to let them know that they're stepping on your toes. Wow. She continued over to say, if they're, if they're wrong, and they are, you need to let them know. So I wasn't the only one noticing this. And, but to make a long story short, I didn't tell them. I let this anger build up inside of me. I let it fester and build up so much that I started telling others about my anger and others about the situation that was, that was going on. And to, I guess to kind of gain the troops and, you know, go against what was going on. So I let it affect me that I no longer wanted to, to do anything else except for come to my place of work and do my job. Nothing extra, no volunteering for anything else, and not even leaving, and, oh, and leaving exactly at the exact time I was allowed to leave at. I no longer had that, I guess you could say, that esprit de corps. I never was the... I wasn't the pro-work person I, that I used to be. Ultimately, I had watched something crumble because I did nothing about it. I was angry, and I wasn't going to let them know what they were doing wrong. But by doing this, my anger was sin, and I gave the enemy a stronghold and an opportunity to not only dig into me, but watch something crumble that affected others outside of me as well. You know, at that time when I was angry seeing it crumble, I wanted to go back so bad and say, ha, I told you it wouldn't work. I told you all these different things that were going to happen, but I didn't tell them. I wanted, to, I wanted to rub it in their face and put salt in their wounds and say, look what's happening now because you made this decision. But I didn't let it happen because I was angry. I had that sinful, not righteous anger. So how are we to handle anger? Well, we are not to sin in our anger. The sin is an outburst, cursing, slamming of doors, physical abuse, and the list goes on. That's sinful anger. But what about passive-aggressive anger? That's, that's sinful as well. Because when we're passive-aggressive, passive aggressive, we're shutting people out and giving them the cold shoulder and holding grudges. We're letting it build up and let it sit there for days. See, if we, are, if we are angered, we do not, we, I'm sorry, we need to do what Paul writes about in the previous verse. Speak truth, but do it in love. 
there's a way we can do this in the right way. We need to pray about it first, maybe seek counsel, but do something and not let it fester. See, if we, can, we are consumed with anger, it will be carried over to the next day. This will give the opportunity for the devil to come in and do wrong things, to ultimately not honor God, obviously. So keep in mind, Paul is telling us specific ways in which we need to put off the old life and put on the new. One characteristic of the world that, is, that the worldly people do not get they do not, sorry, we repeat that. People do not get angry about the right things. The, the world is not getting angry about the right things. They're getting angry about the wrong things. They see sins that destroy people. They shrug their shoulders and say, whatever, didn't affect me, doesn't matter. That's what I was doing earlier. Or even worse, they're laughing at, at the sins and even applauding them for what's going on. It's like a badge of honor of of everything else that we see in this world, of the wrongful things that are being done. In this apathy towards sin, they're very ungodlike. God hates sin, and, his, and he displays his righteous wrath against it. Go back to Romans 1.18. Since sin destroys people, God would ne neither be righteous nor loving if he did not hate sin with a holy passion. And if we want to be a godly people, we must learn to hate sin as well. So first off, we must hate and be angry at the sin in ourselves. We must take that log out of our own eye, as Matthew 7 talks about. But also, we must be angry at the sin and injustice that we see in this world today. And I can give many examples of what we see in the news and the and the game of politics, but I don't believe that this is what God has called me to do here today. But in our righteous anger, we must be careful so we do not fall in sin. See, when, when you are righteously angry, deal with it promptly, carefully, and biblically so that the devil does not gain an opportunity in your life. All the sins that Paul deals with in this section, Ephesians 25 uh, 4, verse, verse 25 through 5, verse 2, disrupt the unity of the body, which is the theme of Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. It's the positive actions and, the, and attitudes that we are, to put on, we are to put on in place of these sinful behaviors all contribute to the unity of the body. Our motive in seeking the, to preserve the unity of the body should be to glorify our Lord, who gave himself for the church. So, we must now not be angered by the wrong time or wrong thing. We must admit that many times that we are most often angry in precisely that way, at the wrong time and the wrong reasons. And it is because of our own personal feelings, pride, self-image, are wrapped up in, in our reactions, and the list goes on of re, why we are angry sometimes. But how do we deal with this? It's simple. We deal with it quickly. Even in this case of righteous anger, which is probably, which probably we have too little of, Christians being sinfully tolerant of gross evil, we should be slow to become anger, 
as James 1.19 says, says, if we listen to this, we will become angry far less often than we are. So now that Paul has addressed anger, he continues to meddle in our lives personally, and of course this is in a good way, and talks more about another sin, and that sin is stealing. He said, my third point would be to work and not steal. So we put on our new self by working and not stealing. And he, he talks about, let the thief no longer steal. So, and I know what you're thinking. Well, the questions to think about were, have I ever stolen anything? Have I, have I ever had anything stolen from me? Or do I encourage somebody else to steal in my own life and my actions at work and so on? But I'm sure that we are all guilty of all three questions. But let's look at what Paul is writing in verse 28. Paul is telling us to not let the thief steal anymore. He is saying that you must not steal. I'm sorry, he's not saying that you must not steal. We, are, we all know that since we have been saved and been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that stealing is a sin. Yes, physically stealing is a commandment that should not be broken with God. Exodus 20, 15 says, you shall not steal. Simple as that. And this is Paul's precise command here. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There are many different ways we can steal, correct? We, we, can, we can steal from others is always a bad thing and it'll eventually catch up to you and you'll do some time for that. It is simple as if, if it doesn't belong to you, don't take it. That simple. But let's look at this a little bit differently. How do we steal from God? We steal from God when we fail to worship him as we ought, or when we set our own interests before his legitimate interests. We steal from God when we fail to honor him by our lives or fail to tell others of his love. We steal from an employer when we do not give the best work of which we are capable or when we waste time playing games on the clock, whatever it might be, searching on Google, consistently leaving work early. Something I've always had to wrestle with in the business aspect and the business side of things is, am I stealing from others by overcharging for what I make? I can steal if I sell an inferior product, pretending it's better than it really is. That's one thing I always try to keep in mind of when doing my side business. So what about borrowing and not repaying? When I was in the army, there was a common, common saying that liars and pens are the most appropriated stolen, borrowed things. Because you borrow somebody's lighter, light a cigarette, not that I did that. Borrow somebody's pen, yeah, I'll get it back to you, you keep it. That was, you're doing it, but not, you're stealing, you're taking it away and not giving it back. <clears throat> but this obviously involves money too. If we can say that we will repay it, we need to do that ASAP. If you're the lender, be careful because you may be causing your brother to, to sin. When the, while the Bible speaks clearly of lending money in a positive light, it also gives a warning not to lend 
at an interest to those who are poor or who are unable to repay it back. It speaks of lending freely, but it warns against being greedy and exhorts us to act with justice. So we don't want to cause others to steal in, in the wrong way. So what about damaging others' reputations? Did you know that we can steal from steal another steal another reputation? We can steal the reputation of each other. This is done by speaking falsely of them. So what about you? You can steal from yourself. When we waste time, talents, and resources that God has entrusted us to do. You know, right, we've had a very long summer I'm a te- as being a teacher. We started our summer break back in March, but we had online school. And <laughs> during the summer, it got to be another just sitting around kind of day. So taking away from God of, these, of our, my time and resources that are entrusted to us. Paul contrasts the, the, to the dishonest practice of stealing his work to doing something useful with our hands. Paul's not saying to give the worldly knowledge here. He, yes, it's fine to, give, to get things to eat, to, to pay bills, and work for these things, right? But what Paul is saying here is that you may labor doing honest work with his own hands. For what? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's a new twist. You work to provide for your family, but you're also working to help provide for somebody else as well. The world is out for itself, as we all know. The poor must be helped by the Christian people who work hard precisely so that they will have something to give to those in need. One example I can think of is is that Paul is giving a negative contrast with a positive. This is how the repentance involves stopping the negative and starting the positive. This is straight out of the ESV Bible where it says the thief must stop stealing and start doing honest work. So that's a picture of repentance. If we're sinning, we stop. We change it from our mind. We're changing it. And we're doing something else that contrasts what we should not be doing. Repentance is having that changed mindset. We often say, repent of your sins because this is what your sins are what put Christ on the cross. But we must stop living in and loving our sins in this sick, sin-sick world. We are not to become of this world. Meaning, our repentance should be to stop lying and start telling the truth. Stop sinful anger, but righteous anger. And to deal with that anger quickly. To no longer steal, but work honest, li- work an honest living so that you may give to those who are in need. And my fourth point would be, say good things, not bad. Paul wants us to put on our new you by saying good things and not bad. We are to do as verse 29 says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as it is as fit the occasion, that it may grieve the the that it may grieve grace, I'm sorry, give grace to those who hear. I think James Boyce said it well when he says that the contrast between unwholesome talk and helpful talk is stronger and also more obvious in Greek than in English. 
This is because the world word translated unwholesome is spares, which literally means corrupt or corrupting. It is used of fruit that is rotting. For example, you know, Paul is talking about what this is what Paul argues. It corrupts things, it rots them away. So believers are to use words that build up others to edify one another. James 3, verse 5 through 6 says that, So also the tongue is, small, is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a, a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on the, fu- on the fire by hell. If that's not a bold statement, I don't know what it is. Think about our past history when Hitler gave those hate speeches that plunged the world into war and caused uncounted amounts of pain and anguish, anguish to this world over what, what he said. On contrast, Jesus has done more to bless more people than any other single thing in history. So Paul wants us to control our evil speech and for us, not to, for us to know how it can cause damage to one another. We should always seek to control our tongues so we don't steal the reputation of others by allowing God to control our minds. My fifth point and final point would be grace instead of grief. How to put on the new you is to show grace instead of grief. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all the bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I could go on for a long time and preach just on these three verses. But this is an example of of having grace instead of grief. Paul, Paul, having inserted the words, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, and and he could have inserted this in any section that we have gone through. But this seems to be an, an, an interruption, a break. This occurs because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of revelation. Remember, Paul said in his prayer earlier, I believe it was in chapter 2, that uh, in, in the book of Ephesians where he said, may the Holy Spirit enlighten you. This is referring to the word of the Lord. He asked that the Holy Spirit enlightens God's word to us so that we may grow and know God more. Why? Because B-I-B-L-E, that's basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Well, it's the Bible. Uh, it's so that we may know God and his attributes, to know his love for us, to know Jesus and what he did for us, and to know how to build up the church. The Holy Spirit here blesses the human words to edification. If we are to use our speech in a way that is against God and his people, we are using it to tear down others who are part of the body. We will, we will be allowing the devil to creep in and to destroy the church from within. This is what 
the enemy wants to do. Wants the church to fall apart and have us talking about each other in different ways and not, not coming back together. So it must grieve him when our speech is not speaking truth, love, and edification towards each other. You see, as believers, we are to rid of the six vices, bitterness, rage, the outbursts of anger, brawling, that's the shouting and clamor, slander and malice, the ill will, wickedness. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Instead, we are to be kind, to be compassionate, and forgiving. We must show these attributes in our walk just as they are in Christ. Jesus is kind. Ephesians 2, 7 says that, so that the coming of ages he might show immiserable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is compassionate. Mark 1, 40 through 41, when he's dealing with a leper, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to him, saying, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched, his, touched him and said to him, I will be, I will be clean. We, Jesus is gracious, so we should be gracious. Romans 8, 31-32 shows God's everlasting love. See, Paul encouraged us to know Christ and to grow in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Go back to Ephesians 4, verse 20 through 21. So we know that Jesus has modeled the Christian way of life for us. When we read of what Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit, whose task is to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ and who is grieved if that is not happening, it is like Paul is saying, Act like Christians and put on this new you and show, show that you will honor God and be imitators of God as beloved children. That gets into chapter 5. So would you pray with me as we think about how we can show Christ in our own life by putting off slander, anger, reacting to the right, anger the right way, having a righteous anger for the right things, and to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instructions we have set before us. Thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul writing this and the Holy Spirit bringing this to us as we see how we are to react, have a new self in Christ. Help us do this each and every day, not just the Sundays only, but Monday through Friday, Saturday, every minute, every day. Lord, it's a struggle to do this, and we can't do this alone. We need you, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. We need to live in the Spirit We need to know the fruit of the Spirit and let that fruit of the Spirit come out of us, whether it's our actions or our speech. God, forgive us where we have failed you and not done the things that you've asked us to do. Lord, we need your help. 
we need we need the shepherd to lead us and that is Jesus Christ thank you Lord for that and for the guidance you've given us and the word that you've given us in Jesus name we pray amen Praise the Lord that His Word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible Word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connection Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso, along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.